Welcome to another season of Over Beers, a craft beer conversation podcast. I'm Freddie Clark. There's a lot of great conversations coming up this season with some very cool craft beer pros, plus some cool surprises in the works. So keep on listening. To get things started today, I visited Neptune City and sat down with Gretchen Schmidhausler, the owner and brewer at Little Dog Brewing Company. Gretchen has an amazing background in brewing in New Jersey. During our conversation, we talked about a style of beer called Alt Beer. Alt Beer is a style that originated in Germany. It's a clean, crisp, full-bodied beer that usually comes in at around 4.7 to 4.9% alcohol. It's going to have a copper brown color, a firm, lacy white crown of foam, and a malty to nutty bittersweet finish. It originated in Dusseldorf, Germany, and Alt means old. When southern Germany was becoming known for its lagers, the area in and around Dusseldorf was brewing traditional ales. In the 1800s, the style of beer took on the Alt or Old moniker as the newer lagers were becoming more common as the growing railroads were making the lagers travel and become more prevalent. The key feature of an alt beer is its cool fermentation by a specialty yeast that likes temperatures between 55 and 66 degrees Fahrenheit. Usually ales ferment at quicker and warmer temperatures while lagers are slower and cooler. Alt beer fermentation kind of sits in the middle. Unlike other ales, it's also aged in lagering tanks for four to eight weeks. The fermentation and the lagering produce an ale that is usually mellow and clean tasting for exceptional drinkability. The style evolved from northern German ales going back as far as the Middle Ages. Many of the earliest brewers were also making bread in addition to beer. As time went on, they were brewed in brew pubs in and around Dusseldorf, with over 100 brewing at the style's height. Today, four brew pubs still exist that preserve that old beer tradition. Which brings us to our conversation with Gretchen today. Little Dog Brewing Company is a four-barrel brewery that has been at 141 Steiner Avenue in Neptune City for a little over three years now. Not only is Gretchen a veteran brewer, but she's also the author of the book, Making Craft Beer at Home. Join us for this very interesting conversation over beers. You know, growing up, I always enjoyed beer. Um, mm-hmm. I drank it, of course, but I really did enjoy it. Um, when I was a kid, the when I was younger, the um, drinking age was 18. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was very different back then. You know, I grew up at the shore. Um, it was, you know, very sleepy at the time. The drinking age was 18, which meant we were going to the bars when we were 16. The I'm statute not, of limitations is over. You're, you're uh, yeah, fine. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it was a good thing, but, you know, that's kind of what we did. And we were, you know, pretty responsible kids, but, um, you know, we were certainly no stranger to beer. But my girlfriends in particular and I always enjoyed beer and we liked good beer. Back then, um, I won't say exactly when, but back then, that meant um, a lot of the German imports. Mm-hmm. Um, Heineken Dark, Michelob Dark, St. Pauli Girl Dark, Lowenbrow Dark. Um, our go-to beer at a place called Gepp's Pub in Belmar was Schlitz Dark. Okay. So you kind of get the idea. You mm-hmm. know, it's hard to explain to people, but there were no, um, you know, there were not even any Canadian imports down right. here. That was pretty much what we had. Now, closer to the city, you know, it might have been a little more sophisticated. I'm sure there were, you know, there was a difference in what was available farther north, mm-hmm. but that's what we had. Nice. 
And those were the days before, like you said, Michelob was, it wasn't even a Budweiser product yet, right? It was, it was still, it was still Michelob. It was independent, sure. It was still independent. Sure. So, you know, I always had an appreciation, I guess, for, for beer. I always, uh, you know, I always really liked it and Mm -hmm. I always drank it. Um, And then years later, I started homebrewing with an old boyfriend. Um, He had given, you know, I guess it bought us a kit for Christmas. You know, we brewed um, a few batches and we never really progressed um, from the, you know, the pot on the stove, basically, you know, doing like an extract, um, you know, real beginner's batch Mm -hmm. of beer. And yeah, that relationship didn't work out so well. Um, And I ended up getting a call, coincidentally, from the guys at the homebrew shop. I continued to brew. I was brewing with um, uh, with one of my uh, with one of my girlfriends who also liked beer. And I got a call one day from the homebrew shop that where we got our ingredients, asking if I wanted to come in and work in the homebrew shop because they were opening a brewery. Okay. Sounded interesting. And coincidentally, I had recently been laid off from uh, a job. I've worked in um, in journalism um, for newspapers mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, I was working uh, for a medical marketing company. I was the managing editor there. Anyway, I lost that job. And it sounded like an interesting opportunity. And it was. And within about a year, they had closed the homebrew shop. They had morphed into a, a full-fledged microbrewery, a 30-barrel lager brewery, one of the mm-hmm. first breweries in New Jersey. Um, this was around 96. Okay. I became the assistant brewer. Um, just absolutely loved it. I had learned so much in the homebrew shop selling the ingredients and formulating recipes. You know, back then, the hot beer was Pete's Wicked. That was yes. probably the first craft beer yeah. um, you know, that Wicked I ever had. Pete's Wicked and like Sam Adams. And Sam and Adams, there, that's yeah. right. And everybody wanted to make an amber ale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned a lot about, you know, without being a very advanced brewer, I learned an awful lot about recipe formulation and, um, you know, kind of putting flavors and ingredients together. Um, you know, kind of a long story, but basically, um, they opened in 96, they made great beer, but the time was not right. Uh, they laid me off and soon after went out of business. What was what was their name? A Red Bank Brewing Company. Red Bank Brewing, okay. Red Bank Brewing Company, yep, it was uh, Red Bank's first, first brewery. Okay. And so maybe they lasted, I think, about three years. Um, after I lost my job, I was, you know, I was pretty upset about it because I, I really, really enjoyed what I was doing. I thought about it, and I ended up running away from home. Um, you know, I had a mortgage, I had pets, and I went out to brewing school in California, and I did a okay. three-month residential program at the American Brewers Guild. Came back, and I was very lucky. Um, I worked for the Ship Inn in, in uh, Milford, which is New Jersey's first brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still operating as a brew pub. And then um, I was hired by Basil Tees in Red Bank and Tom's River. And I was the brewer there for 12 years. Okay. I left about six years ago to start the Little Dog. I'm going to back you up a little bit. When you were home brewing, what were... What were the styles you were doing at the time? That's a good question, and that's not a question that anyone has ever really asked me. Um, uh, We made, I'm thinking back, we always had a stout working, Mm -hmm. and it is one of my favorite styles. I do one called Seafarer's Stout, and it probably is my favorite beer. It has some kind of some sentimental... um, 
something. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> you know, there, there's a sentimental reason I like it too, okay. but it's stouts are, are really one of my favorite styles of beer. Um, I'm sure we did pale ales. I'm sure we did ambers, but nothing really sticks out. There weren't any. Nobody was making IPAs right. back then. Right. No, it's just because I, I I am always interested to find out when people were brewing home brewing how much, like you said, the stout has has yeah, come no, along that, with you. That's that's really interesting. I remember we made a, a golden ale. You know, we did a lot of seasonal kind of beers. Mm-hmm. I, I know we had um we had one called Bronx Cheer, which was like a raspberry beer. Okay. Nobody got it but us. Um, <laughs> but I do remember I, I remember the stouts most of all. Okay. Then when you were at the at the homebrew shop, that's where a lot of your technical knowledge really started to kick I in? I think so, yeah. yeah. I learned a tremendous amount um, about brewing from the owner, a guy named Tom Clark, um, mm. who has a, a brewery now out in um, uh, Pennsylvania, in Berwick, Pennsylvania, called Berwick Brewing. Okay. Now, so 96 Red Bank, I mean, like you said, maybe, what, a handful of breweries in New Jersey by that point, um, right? We had and a brewers. Many. We had a brewers guild, and I mm-hmm. was I was involved in it from the very beginning through through my boss through Tom. Okay, um, and there were at least fourteen members. I think they opened with. Fourteen. I don't think the number really ever went around or went above twenty. Right. Mostly brew pubs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them were. Uh, opened as brew pubs others were existing restaurants um that added breweries like the ship in mm-hmm. and my former employer uh vic rollo from basil teas okay when i think about craft beer in the state it kind of mirrors there's been a two waves if you will of of craft beer in the united states the initial late 80s into the early 90s um and then the last well for new jersey at least the last six years or so five or six years and that's kind of also mimicked that where it's been in the u.s so in that first part having been through both of them is the vibe any different now with craft beer in new jersey than it was back then Yes, it's okay. it's very different. You know, a lot of not all of them, but a lot of the that first wave. Um, you know, those guys were really um, very experienced home brewers. Um, they were mechanics. They were machinists. They were engineers. A lot of them. They were welding their own stainless. Exactly, right. that's right. Um, they put together their own equipment. Um, not all of them made it. Uh, I think there was a lot of enthusiasm for brewing and for what we did amongst the brewers. It was just great to go to these meetings or you know the the festivals or or any kind of event where we got together, and we just really enjoyed I think being with each other, uh, talking about the beer we were making, troubleshooting our problems, complaining about grain deliveries. Um, you know, there was a real camaraderie, you know, back then, I think of those original brewers. And there were certainly beer enthusiasts like there are now, but a lot, most people didn't really know mm-hmm. what they were supposed to do with this stuff. Right, right. And even if the consumers were curious about trying it, the bars were much more... Um, resistant mm-hmm. I think I remember that period of time and yes there were styles there were stouts and other 
pails and Everyone was making amber ales. That was it. Yeah. But I still think about people would just say, yeah, give me a beer. You'd go to a bar and say, you know, give me a beer, and they just grab whatever was on tap. Yes, and you know, one of the you know people people complain that you know New Jersey's laws, alcohol laws, are somewhat restrictive, and you know to some degree they are. But one of the big advantages we have in New Jersey is um, the ability to self-distribute. Mm-hmm. You know, back when the breweries were first opening in nine, when the legislation was first changed to allow microbreweries in '96. Um, you know, we couldn't have tasting rooms. You couldn't right. sell beer to a consumer. Um, you know, you you know that the, that idea was you know completely foreign to us. Um, but we could self distribute, right? And that made sense for a lot of you know that made sense for a lot of people. Well, it still does, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it, it, yeah, I, I wouldn't av- be right. Being able to avoid that piece of the three tier system, the distributor piece makes it feasible yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, it, it, you know, it absolutely makes sense for um, for people in, in certain situations, mm-hmm. you know, uh, size or, um, you know, really what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but for a lot of people, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So, yeah, that was, um, you know, that was kind of a, um, a, a big, a, a big thing back then. Right. So you're working at Red Bank, they go, they go away. And you then, what did you gain out of going to school out in California versus the practical experience you had gotten to that point? Um, confidence. Confidence. A lot of confidence. Yeah. Um, I was um, obviously a woman, and I was the only woman brewer in New Jersey for a long time. Um, and you know, when I initially lost my job at Red Bank and. You know, I mean, there was nothing to be done about that. They, you know, couldn't afford to pay me, so you know that was pretty much it. Um, but back then, you had again maybe a dozen breweries, and each one had a brewer. So it wasn't like there were a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. out there. I wouldn't say that the fact that I was female. Um, you know, prevented anyone anyone from from hiring me. Um, Ann Hall, who was just wonderful, um, who owned the ship in with her family. Uh, she she said, "Why don't you come and work for me?" I know it's a distance; it was about an hour and thirty five minutes away. She said, "Why don't you come and work for me um, until you find something closer?" Mm-hmm. And so I was the brewer there, for, you know, part time on a part time basis. I went in a couple of days a week, and I brewed for the ship for um, six months. Okay. And then the opportunity at Basil's came up, but going to brewing school with um, and having that that practical experience was just it was just a really a winning combination. I thought um, it was a lot of classroom instruction. Mm-hmm. We were for five weeks. We were in class, you know, um, five days a week, you know, nine nine to five or nine to four, and then we had sensory evaluation every day. Okay. Um, but then I combined that with an internship at, at the time, the busiest brew pub in the country um, in Reno, Nevada. It was in one of the casinos called Brew Brothers. And that was just, that was crazy. It was just, you know, we brewed twice, we brewed twice a day. I mean, okay. it was just, it was just nuts. There were just three of us. And, um, you know, that was good experience. That was maybe a little more bewildering because there just wasn't time to kind of stop and, and talk about what we were doing. But 
you know, I think I think a brewing education is. Um, I'm not saying it's absolutely necessary, mm-hmm. but I think it's a really good thing. And I think working in in um, in a professional brewery um, and working in multiple breweries um, can only can only help somebody. So then, to uh, Basil Teas, that you were running the show, right? Mm-hmm. You were the head brewer, mm-hmm. and if I remember reading correctly, that also garnered you. A medal from GABF. Three, three, not three. just one. For my staff, okay. and um, just um, just one minor clarification. Um, I was the second brewer. There was okay. a guy named Bob Hetmansberger there. They had, um, you know, he was in Red Bank, and they hired me to do the Tom's River uh, basils, which they had opened, you know, very recently. And after a year, as luck would have it, Bob's wife was transferred, and he left, and I got his job. Okay. So, so back then up I was to kind Bank. of going back and, and doing, you know, doing both. So um, I inherited a lot of the recipes, but after brewing them on my own for 12 years, you know, you don't change necessarily need to change something dramatically to make it yours. Mm-hmm. You know, brewers tweak. There's so many ways during the course of our brew day and the fermentation that we can make changes to that product, you know, just by tweaking the temperature a little bit or when the hops are added or the, you know, refining the malt bill a little bit, you know, adding a little something, eliminating a little something. You know, our brewer style, brewing styles are all very different. Mm -hmm. I inherited sound recipes, but I made them mine. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then that's what I got And then, yes, I won, I won three uh, medals at the Great American Beer Festival for um, all for my stout. Okay. Um, and you're ri- reminding me now that I was homebrewing stout, you know, years ago. So that's kind of funny. I hadn't really made that connection. Hmm, okay. So then. Two gold and a bronze. Two gold and a bronze. Are, yeah. In uh, different years or in one year? Yeah, was it was it? the same beer. Then after that. You decide you're leaving Basil Teas, and was it a foregone conclusion at that point that you were going to do your own thing? It was. You know, I got I got talking about it with my husband, and I had been single for a very long time, and I got married ten years ago, and all of a sudden I had a little bit more flexibility. Um, you know, I wasn't the only breadwinner in the house, mm-hmm. and you know, we would kind of talk about it. Um, and but I stayed I stayed there for, um, you know, for four or five years. Um, you know, after after I was married, and you know, twelve years is a long time to be someplace. I love absolutely loved loved my job. Um, I loved my beers. I loved my customers. It was a really a tough decision to make, mm-hmm. but it was time to move on. And yeah, I knew that I wanted to open a brewery, and I was hoping that it was feasible. And I left really with the um, the intention of doing that. It took me a, a while to get to that point. Uh, Little Dog, so I left six years ago. Little Dog has been open for just three, and you know you add in an um, you add in another year, maybe fourteen months. Um, and uh, you know, and then of course all, all the research that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think yeah. So that's pretty much what I had been been working toward. I wrote a book on homebrewing. You know, in the interim, okay. uh, I did a little consulting. Um, okay. And that also about that time also coincides with the change in New Jersey laws again, to then allow for 
a tap room. Yeah, having been um, you know a pretty active member in the um, the gardens then the Garden State Craft Brewers Guild, and I was a past president also. You know, we were very aware, obviously, of what was going. We had sponsored, you know, this we had written this legislation, and I think we were all pretty confident that it was going to go through. And this was the legislation in 2012 that allowed um, uh, breweries to operate tasting rooms mm -hmm. with some restrictions and sell beer by the glass. I think we all were confident that was going through, but we didn't really know that for a fact. So I had written a business plan and you know, I went back and, and actually after the third our third year, I went back and, and read it again, and it was it's kind of interesting to see it. And I had written it with the assumption that it might go through, but acknowledging that it might not. Okay. And whether I would have gone forward with it, I don't know. Right. Okay. Because that I mean, that's that was a big one. Yeah. From a, from a business was. perspective, without that, I mean, since that time, since 2012, I mean, New Jersey has jumped from. Well, up to now, what, 80? There's Something 80, like that. There's 80 mm -hmm. breweries now yes. that are open, and then I think there's another varying, in varying stages of planning, another 20 or so still. Um, I would bet there's more than that. I, I know at least five in Monmouth County, okay. five or six in Monmouth County that are in, in various stages of planning. And right. this, this is more than the, hey, you know, I'd like to open a brewery. Right. It's actually doing the paperwork and something, getting the permits. Yeah, there's something and, going on right, with moving it. Right. forward, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what amazes me is that even though with 80, it still seems like New Jersey, there's still room to grow in the beer market. Um, you, you look hesitant. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it depends on. I, I think it depends on the area. New Jersey is um, is a, a well, not you know. I consider it a fairly fairly large state. There's a lot of people in it, at least. I think some areas are nearing saturation. Um, I think you know the kind of perception or the attitude that hey, you know, we've got so many people in New Jersey, we can support. I don't know how many more craft breweries. Um, I'm a little more cynical about that because okay. I grew up here and I know that not everyone drinks craft beer. Mm -hmm. I think when you kind of hang out with like-minded people, you, you know, your assumption is that everybody is a craft beer drinker. It, it, that's just not the case. Right. That's okay. not the case. And the tasting rooms, um, you know, knock on wood, um, our tasting room is doing well, will... Um, continue to do well but we're all trying to sell beer to the same bars mm -hmm. and you know there's only so many tap handles out there right. so I really don't know where this is all going to go um, yeah. you know certainly not everyone's going to be here five, three years from now or five years from now right yeah, well, like anything else, I mean. Like anything else, I mean, I, look uh, at the look at the failure rate for restaurants. Right. Um, you know, they have they have um, you know they have a lot of challenges too, and breweries have definitely a unique set of, of challenges. I mean, you know, in the tasting room, you know, here we are. You're you know, you've got to pay your rent. Um, it's an expensive business to run. We're selling beer for five dollars a pint. You know, a pint. Um, you know, we're not selling food. Um, I'm su supplementing with T-shirts and and glassware and other little you know, little trinkets, but you're basically just selling beer. So now that's not easy. Right now with the, especially lately 
the talk about changing those food laws. Is that something that would interest you? Because I, I talk to different brewers and I'm getting a lot of different answers. Some yeah. yes, some no way. So from your perspective, I, and I'm with your background in brew pubs, is that something that Little Dog would explore? Not at all. No. Not not here. Um, okay. I'm a brewery. Um, I have no interest in being a restaurateur. Um, I don't even allow people to eat in here. Mm-hmm. The brewery is too small, um, you know, Every once in a while, somebody, you know, brings food, you know, uh, mistakenly, you know, they don't understand. They bring food in, and that's all you can smell. We're here to drink the beer, to taste the beer. Um, I, from a practical point of view, I don't have a, um, I don't have a dumpster. Mm-hmm. There's no way for me to get rid of food garbage. Um, it's just not my thing. Gotcha. I mean, if, you know, mm-hmm. if your people are welcome to do that at other breweries, it's kind of a different vibe. And that's, you know, that's perfectly cool. Uh, people have asked me about food trucks. Oh, wouldn't you like a food truck out there? No. I've got six accounts in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, I close at six o'clock. I want people to say to me, okay, well, they're either moving on to another brewery um, and maybe having food there. I don't know. But um, I want to be able to send them to you know, any one of my, you know, my, my restaurants in the area that carries my beer. Right. Okay. That's, yeah. You know, it's just a different philosophy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's the the nice thing about it is that there are different philosophies across all the different tap rooms and breweries that you run into. We have six breweries now in the immediate area. And by that, I mean, within two or three miles of each other. And it really is a great dynamic because we're all so different. We're located in different environments. You know, we're in downtowns, we're on side streets, we're in industrial parks, um, and we all have our own our own flavor. We all have our own personality, both the beers and the brewers and the mm-hmm. tasting rooms. And I tell people who come in here, you can go to all six breweries today, and you will have a different experience mm-hmm. at, at each one. Is there a Methodology Is there a goal you have when you approach brewing? Is there a philosophy that Little Dog Brewing is this kind of beer? I think there is. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to be a more traditional brewer and focus on more classic styles. That doesn't mean we have to be stodgy or... Um, you know, or just, you know, really set in our ways. I like to do beers. I like to do classic styles that have maybe a fresh twist on them. But basically, I'm a, a traditionalist. Okay. I do a mix of uh, mostly ales. I have done have done a lager and would like to do some, some more. We have, um, we really have plenty of, of space, you know, to be able to do that. But I would say my beers tend to be German and English influenced ales. Um, we so we do a combination of, of those core beers and then some really fun seasonals. Mm-hmm. And I've just added two taps, so I don't have a tremendous. Um, a, a, I don't want to say I have a I have a, a lot of variety here, but I have six taps, and we often have a cask on okay. on the counter. Uh, a pin mm-hmm. for you know on the weekend, um, and I think it works. It works really well. And looking around, I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the name and the and your and your logo and your your little dog. Yeah, I had the worst time coming up with a name. I wasn't one of these people who said, "Oh, I'm going to o- open a brewery and it's going to be called X." You know, my last name is Schmidhausler, and you know that doesn't really look very good on a hat. Um, you Need know, a big label. Kane is really, really <laughs> lucky with his name. Um, 
So that didn't work. And then I thought, hey, I'm going to find like a cool German word and, you know, that's fun to say and, and whatever. And that didn't really work either. And I was on the parkway one day and something went by me and I saw a picture of a dog and it, you know, it said hund or, you know, hound or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I said little dog, a little, you know, and I was looking for the German word and it was like Kleiner hund or Kleinsthund and it really didn't roll off the tongue. Mm-hmm. So I just said, little dog, little dog. I've always loved dogs. I've always owned dogs. And at the time, I had a little dog named Quincy, who was a Basenji, and he was a tough little little dog. They're a very difficult breed. They're a primitive, ancient breed of dog. And, um, you know, he was smart and independent and challenging and funny and determined and difficult. And I thought he would just be a great spokes dog for the brewery. Okay. And he has been. And, of course, I'm the little dog, too, because I'm the smallest of the breweries in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't by design. Uh, I was the second brewery to open, and I didn't know at the time that the other four breweries would be larger than me. So it works on a couple of different levels. Okay. So let's talk about the beer. Let's sure. let's, have, let's have some beer. Okay. So I'm going to pour you a little bit of my Gesundheit. Okay. Um, literally translated, it means or something like to your health. So this is a nice, and it's kind of kind of ironic, isn't it, that after all these years I'm making uh, my signature beer is, a, um, is an amber ale. Um, I think if this is an alt beer, it's unfiltered, and all beer really should be filtered. Um, it's unfiltered, but it's nice and clear. It really is nice and bright. I mm-hmm. think it's a really pretty beer, and it's very complex. That is very complex. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, it should be. It's not benefiting by being um, a little on the warm side. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very happy to drink a lot of beers. Not real. Not particularly ice cold but this one I would like to have I think a little bit a little bit colder it's proven just to be very popular people love it it's great with food mm-hmm. it's a nice drinking beer it's fun to say it looks good in a glass <laughs> yes it looks really nice and, glass, and yeah. people really do like it it uses the German um, holler tower hops mm-hmm. and they have kind of like an earthy you know, the noble hops have, have more of kind of an earthy character. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, I mean, I love IPAs, don't get me wrong. But I think we've gotten so conditioned to kind of look for those for those hops that, you know, something like this that's a little, a little mellower. It's yeah. got a little bit of chocolate malt in it. It uses Vienna malt. You know, you have, um, you know, a little bit of a, um, you know, the, the malt balances the bitterness of the yeah. hops to make it a nice balanced beer. It's about 5%. Okay. No, it, I mean, it's very balanced. 5% and, APA. And, and you're, look, I, I love an IPA, and I predominantly drink IPAs a lot, but it's so nice not to be chasing the bitterness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. It's gotten really macho to kind of mm-hmm. kind of outdo everybody else right. with the, the hops. And, you know, those are, you know, those are expensive beers to yeah. make, too. And then the other one now. Yeah. So the other one is my porter. Um, You know, we do, we have six beers on tap. Um, Gesundheit is usually one of, um, you know, is is almost off, uh, almost always on, excuse me, almost always on tap. Mm -hmm. Um, It is our biggest seller, I think. Um, We bottle condition. So this is a porter. Um, and we bottled it mm, barely two weeks ago. So okay. it's not, it, the carbonation may not be 100% there. Okay. 
Um, but it's a really, I think this is a really nice beer too. Uh, this is the time of year we bring it back and we have a lot of fun with it. We have kind of the classic porter in bottles and then we'll do, um, you know, it's just a really good base beer for winter seasonals. I do one called Winter Hottie in January and it has a blend of three different chilies, chili peppers, not chosen for heat so much Mm -hmm. as flavor and aroma. And I toast them and I roast them and I puree them and I add them with a little cinnamon and some chocolate in the porter and that's very, very popular. We do this with chocolate and coconut. We call it macaroon. It's a nice beer. Now, this, if you hold it up to the light, um, you'll see that this, you get a little red. Mm -hmm. You get a little redness. Okay, this is a brown porter um, as opposed to a robust porter. Um, The alcohol content, the ABV, is going to be a little bit lower. Um, This, I think, this clock's in at about eh, five and a quarter, five, five and a half percent. This is probably the the strongest of the beers that I make. Okay. it's a very smooth beer. It's got a lot of, you know, it's got a more of a chocolatey mm-hmm. uh, character to it. You know, a robust porter would just be a little bit, um, you know, a little bulkier. Um, you know, the body would be it would be a little heavier. It would be you would have um, it would be more highly hopped, and the malt bill would you know kind of balance that out. So it would be a stronger beer, and it would be. I don't want to say aggressive, but maybe a slightly more aggressive beer than um, than its its little cousin, the um, the brown porter. Okay. But this is almost like a brown a brown ale. Right. Now, is this more of what you're doing with porters? More of the brown? Yeah. I okay. mean, this is um, you know we. I like I like to think all of our beers have have pretty good names. Um, this one is the Porter. We never were able to. Th- I was no. never able to think of a okay. <laughs> and I had a cat named Porter, and so I guess okay. I kind of think of think of this as Porter, right. Porter the okay. cat, you know. But no, I think this is I think this is really nice, and we'll start selling this beer um, probably this weekend coming up okay. in bottles. Now, do you find your are you are you still tweaking your recipes as you go, or have like like with the porter has this locked in and and that's this is what it is, or are you still experimenting? Um, I don't think we're experimenting that much. I mean, that's not to say it sounds kind of arrogant to say that no, this is this is perfect. This is exactly the way it should be. I think the recipes are sound, mm-hmm. but it's more more the process. Okay. Okay, let's try you know let's try fermenting this like a. Okay, um, you know it's a little drier than I wanted. Let's try fermenting it a little warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see if if fermenting it at you know sixty eight degrees instead of sixty seven or sixty six degrees is going to make a difference. What would that? What, what is mm-hmm. that two degrees going to change? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's if it's really two degrees, but you know generally okay. Uh, well, a good example is the amber ale. The amber ale is really a German alt beer. And it's just, I won't go into, you know, the whole description, but it's basically um, a style of beer that's fermented colder. It almost, not as cold as a lager would be fermented. And, you know, I try to ferment this at 62, 60, 60 degrees, 62 degrees, somewhere in that range. And what you get is you get a, um, a, a cleaner, crisper 
taste. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be getting the fruity, the you know, the fruitier flavors, the fruity esters that are more common, that are characteristic of ales. But the warmer you ferment a beer, the more fruity esters that you get. Okay. Um, and some beers you certainly want to ferment warmer, but a little cooler and crisper mm-hmm. at cooler temperatures. Okay. What is in the plans for the future. I mean, you walked us around, we saw your new major expansion. That's right, that's right. We have a new four by six uh, cold box. Right. I'm very excited about that. But as you as you go forward, where is there, you mentioned your business plan earlier. Are you on track? Or do you have the next phase of your business plan? Where, where, do, you, where do you see taking Little Dog? Um, I want Little Dog to continue to make good beer. I want Little Dog to be profitable, which means we need to sell more beer. Mm-hmm. You know, I had I had some kids come in, some younger people come in one day, and uh, they said the one guy said, "Oh man, you're living the dream. You're living the dream." And I said, "I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm living the dream." Um, and he said, "Yeah, we're opening a brewery too." And I mean, they looked like they were about. 22 years old and they had the girlfriends with them so I said come into the brewery let me give you a tour and I scared them straight (laughs) and I said yeah I'm living the dream I said if living the dream is asking your husband for an allowance every month that's exactly what I'm doing Um, so they were they were chastised no they were they were funny you know (laughs) and I always you know I always give them my card and say look if you have any questions you know feel free to feel free to email me you know I love talking to people about um, about their ideas and um, you know, I try to be, I definitely try to be encouraging. But you know, the, the fact is, it's a very difficult business. Um, you know, you're, again, you're trying to, to make money by selling beer for $5. Mm-hmm. Right? And I mean, that's, I'm exaggerating a little bit. We're selling beer by the bottle, you know, we're selling the bottles, we're selling the growlers. Um, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of breweries in the area. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of competition for the tap handles. It's not just your, your neighboring breweries. They're, you know, the distributors are carry. There's more and more um, craft beer, I'm doing air quotes, craft beer coming into the state. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all all competition. It's all competition. We have no problem paying our bills. You know, it's fun to get to the point where, um, you know, your your, um, suppliers are giving you credit and, you know, you're able to pay it off. you know, it's again, it's it's three years, but you know, I'd like to have a little money in my pocket mm-hmm. too, and we're very, we're just very close to that. We just need to be a little bit more organized about going out and servicing the accounts that we have, and getting more. Um, there's an awful lot of opportunity. I think there's like nine thousand liquor licenses in New Jersey. I mean. I don't need to be in all of them. In all of them, <laughs> I really don't. Um, but I need to be. I need to be in more of them. And I think in you know if things are going the way I think they're going to go, you know in 2018 I'll be adding a, a salesperson and you know giving my brewer, you know a few more um, you know a few more hours. Mm-hmm. So I'm very optimistic right now about it. Thank you, Gretchen. Visit Little Dog Brewing Company at 141 Steiner Avenue in Neptune City and find out more about Little Dog at littledogbrewing.com. You can find her book, Making Craft Beer at Home, on Amazon or for sale in the taproom. Check it out. It's a great primer if you want to learn more about brewing. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about the podcast at our blog, overbeers.beer. Please leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps. You can also leave a comment at the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas for the show. 
The email address is cheers at santephoto.com. You can also follow along on Instagram at santephoto. We've got some great things planned for the new year. New conversations with brewers, new types of conversations, and some cool news about a big New Jersey beer festival at the end of March. So more on that to come. I'm Freddie Clark, and I'll be back next week with another conversation over beers.